guys, welcome back to the Drill Artcast, another awesome episode hitting you in the ears as soon as we've been able to get back in the swing of things. Um, we've got another awesome artist lined up in the wings waiting, um, and it's someone that I've tried to get on for um, a while now, but just again, conflict in schedules, and he's been really busy with um, his awesome new game, um, including the other artworks. Um, so if I get this right, it's Nick Hajialis. Hey Nick, what's happening? Hey Gordon, what's up? Hey dude, hey. Um, yeah, so you and I have known each other, um, I think going on about two years now, something like that. Yeah, I think um, so. And uh, this is, a, a, I suppose, a different take on most episodes I've done because um, we have actually worked together. I have done some stuff for you for your game way back uh, yep. on Mask of Timelands. So, yeah, man. Yeah, it's been it's been a, a kind of in the works. I want to try and obviously get an episode. I think at one point um, with you and Armin, who's also your uh, co-founder of the company and, and kind of you know partner in crime. Yeah, um, that'd be awesome. Then I thought we'll focus just today on the the art side initially, because because apart from making games and doing concepts for your own game, you have worked as a concept artist for you know multiple other companies and worked on projects um, throughout the games industry. So so yeah, so. Uh, I think we've kind of talked at length at it, but then people don't really know you um, or, or your work. What is your kind of current position? Or, you know, outside the mask, what is your kind of day-to-day job? Oh, so just like my general position. Um, well, it's kind of funny because uh, I'd say before I started working on this game, I was more of a concept artist slash illustrator, but now I kind of tell people I'm more of a game developer. I, I feel like I'm in the engine so much as well as, doing art that yeah i see myself as more of like a game developer than just strictly an artist i mean that's funny though because like i have actually spoke to a couple of guys i know who are games artists and they actually call themselves game developers um because they see art as an integral process of the development cycle so yeah you know to say you're a games artist is also accurate but then yeah you could say you are a game developer because you are part of the development process even if it is pre-development like if you're at the start um you know, because even I know people who I'd say, you know, I'll work in the movie industry sure. um, and they do art for, you know, films, but they still consider themselves part of that whole overall process. So, yeah, I think that you can you can definitely use the word game developer. I think that covers a, a broad spec. But yeah, but, but more specifically, yeah, you are an, a, a 2D artist that works within concepts. So, yeah, in illustration. Um, so, yeah, going back, you... I know because we've had these conversations, so a lot of this is, is, mm-hmm. is second-hand information for me. But for the guys sure. out there, you went to school for this, didn't you? You went to um, university, college yeah. for art. Yeah, I went to uh, Penn State University here in Pennsylvania in the United States. And um, I actually got a BFA in art. Um, my focus was new media, which is what they were kind of calling like the digital art portion. Um, so I did learn, you know, Photoshop, Illustrator, as well as had the sort of traditional like oil painting, figure drawing kind of stuff. Um, But what was cool about that program was I also got to dive into a little bit of programming. Um, I I learned sound design, I learned motion graphics. So um, even though it wasn't strictly like an art school, it was more of a liberal arts school, I got a very well-rounded education, which I think kind of helped me for future projects down the line. Yeah, because I think with the, even like game development, when you get into concept art, knowing further parts or other pieces of the pipeline will definitely dramatically improve your chances of fitting into a studio, um, especially, you know, like between even 2D and 3D. That's a good thing, you know. For sure. Yeah, I did. I did do a little bit of 3D in college as well. 
Um, it was one of those situations, though, where I think my professor was learning the the program alongside us. So right. I don't know if I got the, <laughs> the best 3D education, but I did yeah. teach myself a lot. And I think a lot of what I do, I kind of learned from YouTube tutorials and just practicing. Yeah. I mean, that's probably going back a while now, thinking or casting your mind back to your, your student days. But because mm. um, you're in Philadelphia, right? So, like, yes. where did yeah. you f- do you feel back then there was much of an art community for games development art? Or do you think that you've had more resonance online and speaking to people in forums? Or so, so, when I was doing more concept art illustration, I was a little bit more closed off. I would attend this one convention called Iluxcon every year, which um, I, th- I believe now is in Reading, Pennsylvania. So I got to meet a lot of um, artists, and, and some of them ended up being uh, local artists. Um, I actually took a course in Philadelphia. Uh, it was like an illustration course. And one of my teachers, uh, Matthew Stewart, was actually a Magic the Gathering artist. And he was oh, wow. local and there's actually some other local Magic the Gathering artists nearby as well. So I, I, I kind of started to find out that there was an art community here, but it wasn't right. until I really started diving into game design and um, attending the Philadelphia IGDA, um, like International Game Developer Association meetings, that I realized there was a lot of interested, you know, people interested in the in the game development industry here in Philadelphia. Yeah. I mean, because I found that really interesting. I was watching a, a Blender Guru video the other day, um, mm. and I found that um, he was checking out like some of the best cities to work within CG or, or just games industry. And I never knew that within ArtStation you can actually search artists uh, via the city they live in. Oh, um, I didn't know that either. Yeah, there's an advanced search feature where you can actually search people. Like if you just put in Philadelphia, you could actually it would list every single artist on ArtStation that lives in Philadelphia. Um, so yeah, that might be a thing to look at. Maybe yeah, right. the line. Like, that'd be cool, right? Because um, yeah, because yeah, I looked the other day and I was like, oh, the holy shit, there's so many people in Scotland I never knew that were on art station, and I've managed to reach out to a couple of them. And yeah, I thought, oh, that would be quite handy. So yeah, if you're looking to source people um, for your project, then art station can can filter by city. So it's oh, cool. it's, it's definitely hand. Fun fact as well, totally random, but we went to see Shazam the other night, and I never yeah. knew it took place in Philadelphia. Oh, I didn't know that either. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I, I never, I had no idea that Shazam's hometown was Philadelphia. So like, I was watching it, and there were all the signs were coming up and stuff, and yeah, like Penn, Penn State and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, holy shit, this is set in Philly. Like, so That's awesome. And there you go. We, weird, weird sidetrack for you, but yeah, if you ever go see Shazam, you could, you could probably look out and see if you recognize any of the buildings. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know where in Philadelphia it would take place, but yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. So you got your BFA. You were attending different classes. You were meeting this community. Mm-hmm. So where did you take your first step in the industry? What was your, I'd, I'd say the first time you probably got paid to do some art. Was that something freelance or did you walk straight into like a, a studio doing work for people or? Um, so I've actually never had an, an official like in-house studio job. I've, I've worked freelance since I graduated in 2013, I think. Okay. So, yeah. um, so yeah, uh, I, I, I mean, going back, I, I did, I was doing, I, I kind of want to call it like professional work, even though I wasn't getting paid when I was working in college. That was my first like real experience because I was working on a startup game. It was going to be an MMO, like surprise, surprise that fell through, but <laughs> I was working with a team and I had an art director and it was actually my art director, um, Jonathan Duncan, that um, 
suggested I go to this Aluxcon convention. Right. So yeah. once I went to that, that's when I started meeting more professional artists. And it kind of really like kicked me in the butt in terms of, you know, getting my art to the level it needed to be. Because yeah. these artists were super critical of, of what I needed to do to uh, to get there. And, and I really took that to heart and, um, you know, worked really hard and came back every year again and again to show them my work. And it was improving until it got to the point where I, I don't know if this was this was probably my first big, you know, like paid work. But I started getting uh, contracted to doing uh, fantasy flight cards for the Game of Thrones and the Lord of the Rings trading card games. Um, and that was all because of attending that convention and, you know, progressing um, in my skill level. Um, besides that, I was, I, I had other friends from school that had graduated before me and they were going off to like California to make indie films and stuff like that. So they were co contracting me to do stuff like storyboards, um, and, uh, and, you know, illustrations for their movies. Uh, I had done a couple book covers. Um, yeah, but Early on in my career, I was kind of just looking wherever I could to just get experience and 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 do some freelance stuff. Yeah, um, I mean, because I mean, you, you're you're relatively young in the industry. Because I mean, although it, it always seems weird to me because I've met you in person, you're mm -hmm. like five years younger than me, something like that. You're 28, right? Yeah, 27, 28. Yeah. So I mean, like you know, the guys I know who are now, I would say in the, um. I wouldn't say the peak of the, the, your career because I don't think that ever ex really exists. But like the 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 part of the career where they're comfortable, they're getting a lot of work. You know, they have they've got a name behind them. Sure, they guys are are my age, but then they've spent like you have just now or years grinding and doing other projects. So, um, but then even like I say, for the 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 what's the word I'm looking for? The youth of your career, you still have done a lot because you've worked on multiple projects, you've done multiple things, you've got into Fantasy Flight. For a lot of people, that's a big thing as well because Fantasy Flight obviously are a, a big company; they cover big IPs. And then, of course, now you're building your own video game, which is like I think something that people always talk about as artists. Like I really want to do that. I mean, I want to do that one sure. day. I mean, I mean Ahmed, uh, Ahmed talked about you know doing my own version of Zelda, but. Um, but you've done it. I mean, you've got you know a working prototype of a video game that has now graced the floor of PAX East um, two years in a row now because you were there last year. You've just came yeah. back from it recently in Boston. Um, so yeah, you've you've done a lot for the the small time you've been outside of school, um, which is great. I know, because... If I showed you my uh, my CV or my resume, it like looks absolutely insane. But it's one of those things <laughs> where it's like I I've worked it. It's 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 a it's a trade off because at the end of the day I'm kind of like working for myself and I always have been so obviously my schedule is really flexible um, I can kind of take on whatever projects I want but there is always that fear of like oh man well what if somebody doesn't want to work with me or like what if I have a dry spell and that's kind of yeah. always how it happens as a freelance artist there's just these like periods of the year where you just get slammed with work and then you just have nothing so you really have to be smart about you know marketing yourself understanding how to like work with the kind of finances you're you're getting as a freelance artist um but yeah it, you obviously if you're working in a studio it's like a more stable like nine to five ten to six sort of job um so you don't get all of that variety but it does working in a studio does um, I would say make you very good at the thing that you're trying to do like very quickly because you're constantly having to practice the same thing over and over every yeah. single day. Whereas yeah. like 
I, I had taken on jobs like I've been doing some um, advertisements uh, for one of my previous clients, and he actually is the marketing coordinator for a pool cleaning robot company. So occasionally he'll he'll have me do some um, like advertisements, like actually like clip together images with like text on backgrounds. Like there's no painting involved. So wow. that's like the kind of random stuff you'll do as a freelance artist, <laughs> as long as you you know keep your doors open, kind of thing. Yeah, but um, then of course, like most people I know who have done that for years, there mm. will come a point where you will get big enough that you can probably just pick and choose your clients, and you'll probably pick obviously things that will interest you more, like you know bigger projects or bigger, um, you know, for a game or a movie or whatever. Sure. But yeah, like it's not it's not a forever kind of thing. Like you, but then you've you've been very vocal on. Um, I mean, before I even kind of met you, I, I'm sure I met you or met you. I, I saw you through YouTube videos because um, you were kind of pumping them out quite rapidly about yeah. like techniques to do and like, you know, plein air painting and, and stuff like that. So was that something else you wanted to pursue as well on YouTube? Was that just a side hobby or? Yeah, it was one of those things that was um, obviously before I was working on um, Mask of Semblance and mm-hmm. it was, I, I was at that point in my career where, where you were kind of talking about like, I, w- I could be a little bit more picky with my clients because I had like three pretty ste- uh, steady freelance jobs I was also getting contacted by just like random people to do random stuff. So I was kind of like, okay, what, what can I do to further myself as an artist beyond doing client work? And I was like, okay, I can kind of give back through this YouTube channel as well as promote my personal brand. And I think, you know, having a personal brand and a brand identity as a, I I think as any artist, even if you're working in a studio is a good thing because at the end of the day, it, it puts a face behind the art as well as, you know, showcases the art. Um, so yeah, I was working with my buddy and, and we started this, this art bros, um, channel and it, it all came about because, uh, my, my previous art director that I had mentioned before, Jonathan, he, he said one day, he's like, Oh man, Nick, you're such an art bro. And I thought that was hilarious because I don't know, I'm the kind of guy, like I like to go to the gym. I like sports and you know, I'm, I'm sure other artists do those things too, but I, I'm, yeah. I have a little bit of that broiness in me, I guess. Um, oh, yeah. and I'm into like all the nerdy fantasy stuff. So yeah, that name stuck, and we kind of just rolled with it. I mean, it's so broy that the the bros has a Z at the end of it. So <laughs> yeah, I can I, I can specifically remember a Snapchat from yeah. uh, your, your lovely wife to be when you guys were. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but it was some dance festival in Philly where you guys were like in the shorts with the shades with a drink in hand. Yeah. Um, I, I believe actually the specific thing I sent back was fucking millennials. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. So right. yeah, but that's, I mean that's fine. Like I mean, the amount of guys I have met in this industry who have, uh, which I think is actually quite healthy, to have an interest outside of your art, which is yeah. especially if, if um, you have that. I wouldn't say jock mentality, but the mentality of going out and getting fit and going to the gym, I think is almost essential when you work in an industry. Because I mean, I've struggled with it because I mean, I switched careers and and I continued the because okay. So when I was an engineer. My yeah. job was outside lifting heavy things and putting the heavy things down somewhere else. Sure. Then my activities to chill from that was playing video games, mm-hmm. which is something that involves sitting on your ass doing nothing. Yeah. Um, so then when I switched and then my career became sitting on your ass and then my hobbies were also sitting on my ass. Sure. That obviously just spiraled and made the weight gain super rapid. So I think with our career, the exercise is always mandated because, um, you know, there's so much of our career which is sitting at a desk, staring at a screen 
for like eight hours a day. Um, I take it you feel like that's something for you, especially you need to obviously practice daily. Do you try and make sure that exercise is part of your routine, not just because you like it, but you feel like it also balances your art side of life? Oh, for sure, man. I mean, I, I, I even know when I uh, don't go to the gym frequently enough, I don't sleep very well. I'll just be like oh, yeah. awake all night. And I get into this like really bad routine and um, I, don't, I don't know, it's, it just kind of, it kind of helps me stretch out obviously. Cause especially sitting all day, like I, I will notice my posture start to change as well. Like I already have really bad posture. Oh, so you get that total hunch. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm not lifting as well, it's just, I get neck pains and stuff like that. So I don't know. I just, I feel better and it kind of, um, uh, raises my like endorphins. So, um, it it makes me more excited to sit down and work after I've lifted. Cause I'm already in that kind of like up, up sort of mood. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I used to do a thing in college that my lecturers used to actually slate me for, but I think I've met everybody artists I've met does the same thing where, you know, if you're painting something and you want to zoom in, you know, rather than press the key to zoom, you'll push your head closer to the screen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Almost to the point you're hunched over the desk, looking at something. (laughs) I'm like, Oh God, Oh (laughs) my God, it's such a horrible habit. When like my lecture was like, see if you just hold this control button and press this one, the image comes to you. I was like, Oh no, I know, but I'm just, cause you're only doing it for like two seconds. You're just like, I'll just lean over and look. Oh man. But yeah, that's the kind of habits that you get into where, yeah, you start to notice like your back arches a bit more or like your mm-hmm. posture's fallen. And um, yeah, I think it's it's a, a widespread thing I've seen in this industry that people definitely try to like hike or lift or travel and do things that are outside things, right? As opposed to the sure. inside. Because um, also just like daylight, like if you're sitting inside, with, you know, because you close the blinds or the shades because you're trying, your monitor's getting glare. So, yeah, you know, yeah. you're even depriving yourself of daylight. So it's it's, it's got to be something that is in constant check, I think, with with artists. Um, even Armin now, you'll probably notice that, you know, it'll be the same with him because he's coding all day, so which involves the same discipline, which is sitting at a desk staring at a screen. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And, sure. then, yeah and, and do you feel like, like, do you think it's something that um, we definitely should be talking more about in the industry? Have you seen it with more students that, like, maybe do all-nighters or spend time just behind the computer like for three, four days on the trot? Or? Oh, for sure, man. I mean, the other thing too, I think that happens is when you're sitting so long and you don't take breaks, you, you become less productive. Like you'll start painting over the same line over and over and over. And right. it's kind of good to get up and, and be active. Like, you know, get up, walk around a little bit or stretch. Like I, I'm even at fault for not stretching enough. Like my hips get really tight because I yeah. sit really weird while I paint. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just stuff like that. And, um, I, I think just kind of taking those mental breaks is, is good for, um, you know, motivation and, and getting back into the work. So, yeah, definitely. It, and, and yeah, to answer your question, I mean, people have even asked me to do videos on like a stretching routine or stuff, something like that. And I just have not, have not gotten around to it unfortunately but I you've actually probably just struck gold there nick i bet there is an absolute market for for an artist to start a channel where not only it's art tutorials but he also incorporates um like working out stuff as well like maybe sure. exercises or stretches specifically tailored to artists who sit in specific positions yeah um and then even like testing out different chairs and i know there was one um chair i can never remember the, the name for it but i think it's like a thousand bucks and it's got mm-hmm. like this replica spine up the back of it that's supposed to emulate your spine oh, so when you sit in it it like almost cradles you so you're not um um what's the word it's the the kind of lower back um you're like support 
Yeah, lumbar. Lumbar, that's it, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the lumbar support stuff's all built in it. So, yeah, like, I think, because remember somebody saying, like, $1,000 for a chair, that must be a total waste of money. And I'm like, if your career is sitting at a desk, that's yeah. an investment. You know, it's like buying a good graphics card. It's, you know, it's something that is going to improve your career, not hinder it. So, for sure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, with the regards to you've had so many freelance opportunities and then you've had, you know, Shiri, you know, on and off. Mm-hmm. What was the, I think I already know the answer to this. I kind of, I kind of already do, but sure. where did the idea from mask come from? Because for, for what I understand it was because unfortunately like you said, some of the, the projects you had worked on, and I think it's very common. I had never seen the light of day. So yeah. was it that need to get something out that you'd worked on? Yeah. It, it, um, when I was talking about that time period where I had the three steady jobs, I was working on um, a comic book, a, a card game, and a video game all at the same time. Right. And okay. um, those projects all fell through within like three months of each other. And I was kind of just like, man, what what do I do with myself? And I still had some savings. So I was like, all right, this is the time for me to get into my like really creative and out of the box kind of mode. And I was like, I'm going to teach myself how to code. Like, I've always wanted to make games, so I kind of figured I can use my art and and learn how to code and and start prototyping something. Um, I think I still had some small freelance stuff coming in in the meantime, um, but yeah, it was a good opportunity to just start. And um, I think I had just read the book The The Alchemist by Pablo Coelho, and I really liked that whole theme and the whole world he had built and even down to the fact that like i believe the character was referred to as the boy the entire time and that's so far how we've been referring to our character in mask of semblance um but i i liked the the simplistic uh way he wrote but it's still he still told a an extremely meaningful story and that's what i've always wanted to do with my work like have it be very accessible to a wide audience, but tell a very deep and powerful story, um, an impactful story. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure like everybody else that's in this industry, like I grew up playing video games and stuff, and I was always drawn more towards like RPGs and and action games and story-based games. And I kind of just wanted to do that myself. So um, when I, when I started working, I, I, prototyped a very, very early concept of mask of semblance. And I obviously ended up getting stuck because I didn't go to school for programming or anything. And right, that's yeah. when um, I hit up Armand and I had known Armand since like freshman year of, of high school. So like, I don't know, 13, 14 years, something like that. Okay. Yeah. I was like, Hey man, like, I know you went to school for programming. Do you want to work on this video game with me? And he also had just lost his job, his like full-time, like adult, freaking job said he was like yeah might as well (laughs) so it was like really weird timing for both of us but we were kind of just like i don't want to i don't want to make it sound like this but like kind of in that mentality like sticking it to the man like oh man we're gonna just start our own studio and make our own video game because we can do this better than anyone else kind of kind of thing and um I don't know. It kind of just stuck and it grew. And we got to this point where we were looking at our product and we're like, holy crap, we have something legit here. Like this is turning out to be a real thing. And um, yeah, like, you know, uh, we had Gareth hop on board. We had you hop on board. We, you know, started going to the conventions and packs and stuff, getting good feedback. And we're at the point now where it's kind of like, we're waiting for publisher feedback to see if um, 
we're going to get funded to continue development. And uh, it's, it's kind of like, there's, there's no other option. Like we have to make this game. Like, yeah, it has to get made. People want it and we want to see it finished. So I mean, like you're talking about like the whole thing of, it sounds kind of weird sticking it to the man, but then I think almost every game studio that is existing today is one that has basically came out of people would just want to make their own thing and do their own thing and be away from it. Because, I mean, even listen to one of the guys, I mean, I know there's a whole controversy around Borderlands just now and the way Randy's basically run the studio and uh, I know that. But, you know, he started by making Half-Life 2 mods and then they basically got money to make uh, a bigger version. They made the the, the add-ons for Half-Life and then a lot of the other guys, like even just... uh, um, Oh my God, Tim Schafer. Yeah, they go. If I forgot that name, I was going to kill myself. But Tim Schafer basically walked away from Lucas because he wanted to make his own stories that were just for him, that were for no one else. Yeah. Um. So these are all very common themes, I think, when you start your own studio. You want to do something differently, but no one really will fund that idea because I think for Tim, especially when he left Lucas, he had just finished Grim Fandango and he was wanting to make weirder you know even more controversial um you know stories and lucas were like you know that's too weird we'll never fund it it'll never get pitched so he was like you know i've got all this money for grim i might as well just go start my own company and that's how he started double fine and you know i've religiously watched that guy for the last five years since i left my job and he's had some pretty fucking grueling i mean i can remember watching the video of him talking about um, when they got cut from Xbox to make Psychonauts and they were basically on their own with no money, and he still like gets emotional about like that day standing in front of everybody telling them that there was no more money left, everybody had to leave at the end of the week. Um, so it's been fucking terrible like running that studio it has been really hard but he's pulled through i mean he's managed yeah. to find like you know he was the first guy in kickstarter to ever uh, raise a million dollars for a video game and you know he's, he's he's got multiple contracts now with sony he's remastered a lot of his old games from lucas so you know there was terrible years where like he had no money and he couldn't pay anybody but you know he just kept grinding and look who he is now you know the guy is successful so i think what you're doing is not only brave but i think it really should be done more because there's less people taking risks i think and especially on the ip you're you're pushing just now because like you're not building a first person shooter you're not building the next call of duty right you're building something that is almost a niche um but one i know that people appreciate because we had this conversation after you took me on that i met a guy randomly in a in a in a uh, a car playing game and he knew who you and Armin were, he knew who Red Essence Games were. Yeah, so, crazy. And that was in Scotland. Yeah, that was crazy. So do you feel like you're doing something valid? Do you still feel like you're, you're still... I mean, it's, it's a hard question to post here. I'm, I'm no... Yeah, yeah. Telling, I'm, you're not going to give up on anything, but yeah. Yeah, so I, I think the deal with the kind of game we're building, we're building an isometric 2D hand-painted action RPG. And it's kind of one of those things where, you know, it's a big line of words, but at the end of the day, like everybody understands what that is. Like yeah. a 2D action RPG is a 2D action RPG. So we're, we're building a fairly safe um, genre of game. I think what's making it more niche is like us kind of going there with the with the darkness like vibe yeah. to it and, and mm-hmm. the whole like hand-painted art style. I know um, this really bright pixel art kind of style has been in for a little while, um, but I think it's being phased out like a little bit by more 3D games and, and other hand-painted type games. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not like we're building some weird like walking simulator that has like a really ambiguous story. It's like 
fairly straightforward in terms of how it plays and like what you can expect from it um, in terms of uh, uh, mechanically. Um, But what, what obviously makes us stand out is, you know, the art style and the story and um, the, the one of the, our major features is that we're building the game to the game world to be playable forwards and backwards. So, without you know really spoiling anything, um, especially the, the the world, you know, you can you can play the each map like uh, going one way or from the back end. So you you get this choice at the beginning of the game whether or not you want to go left or right, and it's, you essentially play the story like backwards um so you'll have two different storylines two different characters uh sorry companion characters and abilities and stuff like that yeah because there's a the way you explain it to me there's a there's a tech route and there's a more nature route they're the kind of two conflicting ideologies within within which i think is an interesting also take on just the modern world because that is something i think we're at battle with um constantly is is you know too much too much technology taking over what is still organic in nature so um it probably is actually a, I, I would say a very aptly timed game because you know the, the the whole culture of um like us destroying the world is is a very hot topic at the moment um especially environmentalists so sure. definitely i mean you're no you're probably obviously no thinking about that when you're building the game but i think people will still make those connections because like i said if you're mixing tech with nature it is a thing in its own that a conversation that people are already having so yeah, um, and then of course you just came back from PAX, and I'm assuming you know the the positivity was was there with the game. I did see a lot of people playing it and really enjoying it. Yeah, so we just included um, local multiplayer. We feel like that's kind of like a lost art in a certain sense um, for a lot of games. Like a lot of these Switch games are are including a multiplayer component um, that are more like action focused, but they're not really the kind of games that are like very uh, story heavy. And I've always, like like you said, like I have my uh, fiance and I've always wanted to just sit and like play through a story game with her. It, right now, a lot of the options are like one of us has to watch the other play a game. And it, it would be cool to like experience that with someone. And, and growing up too, I always wanted to play like Final Fantasy with one of my friends, for example, but they're pretty much single player games. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, so what I'm getting at is at PAX, it was cool because we were able to sit up, set up uh, two two um uh monitors with with two seats each and it was mm-hmm. awesome to watch people kind of like pass the controller back and forth if they wanted to switch players or um you know kind of coordinate together to fight enemies and stuff like that so yeah we had like a pretty overwhelmingly positive um feedback from from attendees this year especially compared to last year i think we fixed a lot of the stuff that people were having some issues with yeah, because I feel that that term local multiplayer. I mean, we call it couch co-op. So it's yeah the fact that you can sit on the couch. I mean, like for me, I feel. I mean, you talk about the switch. I was just going to say that the one company I felt that has almost championed that into the twenty first century has been Nintendo, mm-hmm. and a lot of their like Mario Party games or, or multiplayer focus games, mostly with Mario. Um, but even stuff now like um, Overcooked, which is kind of taking its own kind of fad and stuff, and yeah. you know you can sit with four or five people in one in one chair and you can all pass and um even stuff like uh, we've actually just talked on a new game called uh you don't know jack and it's where you know you can actually have the thing up on the screen and everyone plays with their phones so i think that community has almost something that we all crave because with online multiplayer which kind of came within its own right with stuff like xbox and dreamcast in the 2000s yeah. um people were kind of like oh if you're in another room in another city it doesn't matter you can still connect to people over this headset 
But then looking at leading psychologists and people who study this, you know, human behavior and social media, they say that even the interaction with you and me talking over a headset is still nowhere near the connection would be if I was standing in front of you talking to you because you feel like you're seen and heard then if there's a physical person in front of you, but that whole away from each other is something that almost makes it, you know, less, um, the human interaction basically disappears. So again, that's, that's solving, I mean, solving all these world problems, Nick, you must feel so accomplished with all these things that you <laughs> fights on nature and bringing people to together. And, yeah. <laughs> but then again, it's, it, it, you're thinking about it and maybe the, the terms where this would be good just to make it a good gameplay aspect. But yeah, I think it solves a lot of bigger issues, you know, bringing people together, especially. And I think that's what I love about the Switch is, you know, I had this moment almost like a TV commercial when I felt so cheesy, but sitting playing Mario Kart and a guy was like, oh, is, that's the Switch. Is that any good? I was like, oh, here, man, I just broke off one of the controllers and gave it to him and yeah. played Mario Kart. So, yeah, like, I think it's the same kind of thing that that almost is missing from games now where you can share it with people because, like you said, you wanted to have an experience where you could share the love you have, which is video games, with your fiance. Because um, Grace isn't a huge gamer, but she does love like interacting with them when she can yeah yeah definitely yeah because i mean she was even i think she even sent me a story when you were just uh plodding through god of war 4 which is incredible by the way um <laughs> but yeah like um but yeah like i think even the thing that attracts people to games now is, is even just the stories that they tell because even watching god of war i feel as an experience never mind playing it um oh, because sure. the story is so epic um and i mean santa monica definitely knocked out of the park with that one but um but yeah so have you also, what else is your kind of focus apart from, you know, because you've ex- explained the, the gameplay stuff, do you feel there's a, a good story there as well that you've been developing? Yeah, so um, a lot of the theme we're kind of playing around with is sort of like internal conflict and, and growing as a person. Um, to kind of just preface this for the listeners, um, the, the story of Mask of Semblance goes, this boy wakes up in this world and only a fragment of his memory persists from before and he finds this sentient mask and the um they the mask basically asks him to to carry him around on his face and you know go on this adventure together and um along the way they're kind of like meeting people and having to either help them out or not help them out a lot of the decision making is up to the player and um we want to really uh make the player think about the actions that they're choosing because i think a lot of games have very like binary answers it's like are you picking the good path or the bad path kind of thing and um what we find very interesting is just how like slight phrasing can emit a different emotion from um, another person you're talking to so even with the current demo we put out you'll see very like uh i can't think of exactly how we phrased it but like um i think one of the situations is the npc is like you know here's this bad situation that's happening and the, the character is either like, um, you, I want to help you or, you know, we'll, we'll see what we can do. So it's kind of like, you know, very, very slight change in tone can obviously emit a different reaction from, from the um, person you're talking to. So those, those choices will, will influence the endings as well as the interactions throughout the game. And um, yeah, just, like I was saying, it's got fairly standard RPG mechanics, but um, I'm I'm into like the super weird kind of games, like um, the Nier franchise and Drakengard and stuff like that. Oh, like yeah. I obviously love Zelda and Final Fantasy and stuff like that too, but um, I don't know. We're kind of just 
trying to go there with the with the weird factor in our game a little bit. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think yeah, yeah. You draw inspiration from every part of your life, and I think you know people even talk about Miyamoto and his revolutionary take on stuff like Zelda and Mario, but then they are all derived from original IPs and ideas he had outside of working in Japan. I mean, even like Zelda was based on, I think it was a Tom Cruise film really early on in the eighties called Legend. Mm. Um, oh yeah. Where he, yeah, he plays like a, a, a guy with a sword and shield and he's got to rescue a girl. Um, but apparently a lot of Zelda's influence or Link's influence, sorry to say specifically came from watching that film. So, you know, I, I think you just take in as much of the natural world as you can. And then you focus that into another effort which for you is, is this video game um and then it's specifically art style i mean is there anything you're consciously thinking about when you're painting a lot of your characters or you're building your worlds um like a lot of the enemies obviously just now are, are based within nature the rocks the plants sure um the boy himself it, it seems like an almost um you were saying it, it was it was almost an influence of cultures from armin's side and your side from the greek side like you were trying to combine is that something conscious within your art as well yeah for sure i i've always been really interested in the look of like middle eastern um uh, architecture and patterns and clothing and stuff like that so i i feel like that's kind of like been a running theme in in a lot of my designs um uh yeah, so I also grew up with a lot of like anime and stuff like that. So I feel like I kind of have that a little bit of that Japanese stylistic stuff, especially when I'm working on Mask of Semblance. But in terms of design, I draw a lot from, yeah, like Greek, uh, Middle Eastern, um, kind of more ancient civilization sort of stuff. I, I'm into like the standard medieval sort of fantasy look, but I don't typically incorporate that into my into my work unless it's necessary for a client yeah i mean i feel like the west well the stuff you're talking about is more the western take on on medieval stuff so more mainland europe so even with the witcher that has obviously a very i think different feel from even stuff like dragon age because yeah. witcher is obviously best on a, a, a set of polish books so the, mm-hmm. the whole architecture and, and medieval theme that they have in novigrad is very particular to the Polish heritage that they're that they're they're working on when they're building those games, um, as opposed to now they're building cyberpunk. So, yeah, the the focus mm-hmm. will you can see in the demos it is a totally Western, almost Americanized game now. Yeah. Um, well, Witcher still has that feel of um, Slavic, um, as opposed to like you said, you look at your game, you look at your characters. I mean, even for me, not knowing much about the heritage, but like the first thing I noticed with the Greek style is their shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't, like which I, I think that's a weird thing if straight on, but the, the even the curved tips, even the weapons, I would find that the yeah. even like Sola's Sola's spear, it, it has that reach of like uh, an ancient Greek weapon, like an almost gladiator sure. style of 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 you know saber. Um, and is that something that you will continue throughout the whole game? Are you mixing any more cultures, or is it mostly just those regions? I think it's mostly just those regions. Yeah, I it's just kind of what you know, draws me in. And even if you look at um, my older concepts, like on my art station or something like that, like you can still kind of see it. Even when I was working on more of like a, um, not cyberpunk, uh, like steampunk kind of game, I I still kind of had those like scarf kind of fabrics and, um, you know, 
like really rich uh, patterns, like symmetrical patterns and stuff like that. I don't know what it yeah. is about it. I just like um, I in in terms of um, like video games related to, I think Final Fantasy twelve, even though it's not my favorite Final Fantasy, has one of the best looking worlds and designs out of any. Oh of- yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, oh, yeah, man, that's it. crazy. Like I just love all that like desert kind of looking like dry arid landscape but like then you'll come across these like beautiful waterfalls and you know stuff like that so yeah um, definitely more within nature i mean like you can obviously turn your hand to either or which i think is great it obviously shows diversity but then i think what's great about that is that it is almost like your personal style which is something people mm -hmm. probably strive for for years and never really find but i think style for me is not just the artist you love but also the life you live so like if you have a great rich heritage like you or even for me, say, like, because I'm Scottish, you know, if yeah. you draw within that culture, then that makes that part of your art personalised that nobody can really copy because it is particular to just you. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's stuff I've seen, like, I mean, I think for um, a while back, you know, when I was looking at your stuff, one of my favourite things I think you ever done was the it was the vampire banner, which I think you done way back. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, which I was like, I actually thought it was a Magic the Gathering card. I was like, holy shit, that's incredible! So like that for, to me is like the more Western style uh, kind of look uh, sure. and feel that you can emulate. Um, and and then even stuff like um, your Krill painting, which I felt was you know crazy good as well. So yeah, you can see those weapon designs, like you said, those patterns just emanate through different stuff, which is great because yeah, it makes you a more diverse artist and means you can turn your hand to whatever the client needs. Um, so I take it for you just now, are you focusing more on, like, are you 100% like full steam into mask? Like you're taking like maybe little to none freelance stuff on. Are you just focusing on building the game now? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of at the point where um, we need to just really start production. I and mean, we have started production essentially. And um, it, yeah, so that if we um, get funding, then we can kind of tell the publisher, yeah, we, we're already full steam ahead and we're ready to just, you know, continue yeah, um, push out to kind of like alpha beta, kind of just getting it ready for shipping and stuff like that. So yeah, we're we're, we're building a lot of uh, the rest of our mechanics and abilities and stuff like that, um, and uh, kind of fleshing out some more concept art so that we have a really good feel of you know how everything's going to work. Um, yeah, you know that kind of yeah. stuff. I mean, I definitely think you should update your art station because, yeah, there's so many awesome things I've seen you making recently that um, I would love to see, you know, more of your concepts and, and stuff you're working on. I know a lot of it's kind of privy because you're trying to keep things close to your chest. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, you're not wanting things that I know, but just yeah. there's, so, there's so many, uh, guys, I, I can assure you, there's so many amazing things Nick has showed me and, and awesome worlds. And, and obviously, like, if you haven't already, go and play the demo, download it and play it because I think it's on, um, uh, where is it you can get the demo oh, now? Sorry. Yeah, it's on uh, Game Jolt. That is the same. Game Jolt, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, Game Jolt is, uh, I think, uh, a great service as well. And uh, have you considered any stuff like um, like Steam's Early Access or their Greenlight program or anything like so, that as well? So some people put their games up before they're really supposed to. I, I believe in the terms of service when you're doing Steam Early Access, you're supposed to have, um, an, uh, I, I want to say, an alpha. So like it... The game is supposed to be complete, just not like bug free or like necessarily like feature complete. And yeah. we're not, we're just not there yet. So I wouldn't really feel comfortable like doing that and taking money or pre orders. Yeah. 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 Want to donate, I'm more than happy to take that money, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> otherwise, well, if, it funds a dream. It funds your, your appreciation for making something. I mean, and I, I feel like, uh, 
even stuff like Kickstarter is always great because I mean Tim, it was funny. There was a one of the biggest talking points on one of his episodes when they built before they built Broken Age, like really early on, mm-hmm. was that they took because um, he talks to the, the camera about it. He's like, we took all this money from all these people, and they think I have an idea like that's ready to go, um, but like I haven't even started writing. So when he took the money, he then started writing like yeah. um, the game basically. So. Um, I feel like Kickstarter is maybe even a better idea because then you can then say, right, well, we took this money and we project, like you said, 18 months, two years, whatever, to make it. And then people can always, if they're patient enough, they can wait. But um, I think it is also a double-edged sword because it's hard to take money from people and then like you have this pressure of it needs to be done by a certain date or it needs to be done by then because... I yeah, I've yeah. gotten kind of burned by Kickstarter as well. Like I had worked on projects that were funded and um still ended up falling through and and this yeah. was totally not you know i wasn't the one running anything so yeah um it's it's very unfortunate when something like that happens so i definitely want to make sure that if we were to turn to crowdfunding or something like that that yeah. we were 100 percent confident we'd be able to deliver the products uh for the amount of money we're we're looking to raise um, yeah, definitely. And, and because we're a new studio, I, I'm trying to be as careful with everything as possible. So um, yeah. that's why we want to work with a publisher because we figure that a publisher already has the connections and already will know how to market and sell your game, um, as well as kind of guide you a little bit in terms of like milestones and just, you know, stuff like that. Whereas when you do a Kickstarter, it's kind of like you receive this lump sum of money and then they're just like, yeah, all right, just make the game. And you have to do everything yourself. So I, I'm I'm down to do that. But again, like if you know if we can work with a publisher, I'd prefer to do that. So that's the first step we're kind of looking to take. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, awesome. Um, so yeah, kind of moving away from mass because uh, we'll chat on our things. I'll definitely leave links below if you guys can check out the game and all the next work on top of that. But Move move back to art. Do you feel like once you've done mask, do you feel like um, you would then want to pursue something like uh, as your role moving forward? You would just always want to make your own content, or are you looking to maybe dive back into the world of concept once you finish mask? Ideally, ideally, I want to always make video games. That that's what I like want to want to do. Um, So, and again, ideally, like I'm really killing myself right now in terms of like making the art and helping manage the company and all that kind of stuff. So what I would really like to do is be more of like, um, the, uh, kind of like story, like direct, like I'd be the director essentially. And I would still like to do concept art and I'd still like to do character designs and stuff like that to help build the world. But, um, I don't know, most likely, I mean, not most likely, hopefully, you know, in the next game, maybe we move on to 3d and that's not even really my specialty anyway. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't, if we end up, you know, making this game and it's successful, I don't ever really see myself doing anything but making video games. Yeah. I think it's also a a trade-off because I mean, I know years back when I run my own design business, I felt like the more I was trying to help the business grow, the less I was getting time to do art, um, design stuff. So that's definitely going to be something that's going to be an ever kind of lasting battle is that you want to make art, but then you have meetings to go to, you have budgets to sort, you have people to employ, you have a studio to run. Like, yeah, I think it's it's harder. I mean, I know even guys, you know, who have set up studios and and the original goal is to you know start you know or keep making art, 
within you know the higher up the chain you go then the more responsibility you have and it gets sure. more and more difficult to find those pockets of time maybe creative um so yeah i think that's it's definitely going to be a very big challenge but one i think you're more than capable of undertaking and of course you have you know grace by your side armin the guys at redison's um so yeah i think it's definitely going to be a, a, a track that will be difficult but also one you'll have a lot of support with so yeah um, it's it's so. one of those um really weird things like this is probably the weirdest time in my entire life because i i've been drawing since i was like literally three years old and I always thought that, like, yeah, I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to draw four people and stuff like that. And now working on this, it's kind of like, like I was saying, it's almost like I'm having an identity crisis as an artist. And I'm just like, I, I don't really, it's not that I, like, don't miss, you know, doing paintings and stuff like that. But at the same time, I don't really miss it. It's kind of like I, I like doing the kind of work I'm doing now, even though it's like completely different from what I used to do stylistically and everything. Um, I mean, I, I'm freaking animating like frame by frame animation. Never in a million yeah. years did I think I was going to be doing that. But it's kind of like what I have to do to make this game. And um, honestly, I, I like getting in the engine and, and coding as well. Um, so stuff like that, like I, I find all, all, um, facets of making a game very interesting and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I just like don't have a long enough attention span to be like, I'm going to be an illustrator and just sit and paint for like 10 hours a day, every single day. Yeah. I feel like oh, I kind of already yeah. paid my dues in terms of doing that. <laughs> yeah. And now it's like, I don't know. I kind of get to dip my hands in a bunch of things at the same time. I mean, dude, you're, I've met so many guys that have <clears throat> that have started in that. Um, like um, the other Nick I know, um, Offerman, who worked at, um, at, uh, at Blizzard for years and now is basically building his own game in his bedroom. Um, you've even got guys who like Raf Gazzetti, who you know I'm working with soon, and you know he works with Sony Santa Monica, but and he's an amazing sculptor. But then he also codes, he also does other things outside of that because he just has an interest to learn things all the time. Yeah. Um, and then of course Max Berman, who we both know, who you know Max was a map painter in the film industry for god 10 years yeah. and he was just like i want to own my own company i want to have my own people and then he made um um oh my god this is terrible i forgot the name he max's game that he released on switch um but the, yeah he, he basically made his, his own ip his own game um got it published got it finished done um and now he's working on kitbash which is his own kind of baby as well so um yeah i don't think you have to wear the same hat forever i think it's a very um it's a very modern take on i think the world as it sits there's so many opportunities especially now with the internet right you can make games in your bedroom at a weekend you can publish it on youtube you can have people watch it you can put it on steam like it's not a thing where back in the day we were very limited by you know the tools we had now you know like even now like look at things like unreal and unity where those used to be engines where you have to pay money to and you know to get the just access to the tools but now they're readily available for everybody to use so I think it is very hard to have almost a, a set dynamic or, or path. I mean, people will do it, but then I think because, like you said, there's so much opportunity, um, it's hard, right? It's hard to just focus on one thing, even within like the realms of 2D. Like if you want to even be an illustrator, you're like, well, cool. You know, do you focus on environments? Yeah. Do you focus on characters, props, creatures. Even within so then, there's multiple disciplines. What what I've started to kind of tell myself to make myself feel better in terms of this is um, <laughs> say I'm not I'm not as much of an artist anymore. I'm more of just a storyteller. So that can yeah. be many things. It can be 
uh, telling a story through music. It can be telling a story through making a game or painting or whatever, you know? So that's, that's just what I like to do at the end of the day. I like to tell stories and like make people inspired through the stories. And, um, it, it just so happens that art is like the thing I'm best at in terms of yeah. relaying the story. And now I'm getting better at telling stories through game making. So, yeah, I mean, like this takes me back to a, a talk I watched years ago with Matt Rhodes when he basically talked about, um, like he feels that storytelling is like human being superpower. Like it's the yeah. one thing that separates us from a lot of different other, you know, species where we have these abilities to recall and reenact stories that are long gone and entertain other people with them. And he feels that like, that's something that's missing from people's portfolios. Even when it comes to art, you know, like he feels like, you know, great, you can draw anatomy, great. You can reconstruct the tree, but can you then put it in a scene that tells a story? That's what makes art compelling. It makes you want to dive, further into the image and enthralls people with a sense of wonder you know where does that light go or what's down that path so yeah i feel like it's very common for artists or people in the industry to be storytellers because um it is the one thing that i think sells your ideas and sells your vision to the world is you know even george lucas when he started with star wars right he just had a really great idea for a really good story um and everything came around that so you know once he wrote the script the art and stuff was almost secondary to that so um, it's very, very. Co- you're like George Lucas, Nick. That's exactly what you're like. You're no, number one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean, yeah. Basically, I think it's it's a very common thing where um you want to tell these stories and you want to make the world a better place with the with the the things you're doing um in this game and and I think it's going to be um yeah. I'm, I'm just I'm just excited, man. I, I told you when I kind of first started working with you that um. I was I was just excited to see where the story went, and I think it's just going to be one of these overnight success stories that you know we're sitting talking about it in this podcast here. Oh, but soon stuff. you'll be on, you'll be on, you'll be on IGN soon, you know, with the guys and getting your own review scores and stuff. So, um, yeah, man, I'm 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 dead chuffed for you. Um, I think you're going to do go do awesome things, you and Armin and the team. Um, so yeah, I mean that was that was uh that was my kind of of outro is uh is just wishing you luck and um thanks again for coming on and speaking to us about the game and about your career um thanks for having me yeah man it's been an honor um so yeah we'll try and get you back on at one point with armin sure and we can talk about like more in depth about the game um maybe you guys had another milestone we'll try and get you back on um but until then uh thanks for everyone for listening thanks for checking out the podcast as always um i will leave all next uh affiliate links down below including all the stuff for mask assemblance uh mask assemblance mask assemblance if you have not checked it out please go and google it and look it up it is an amazing piece of art that you really should experience um and yeah i'll see you guys later on in the next episode thanks again bye